Hi, Chris. Good to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Of course. Of course. I uh, My name is Chris Houghton. I run a coaching business called AIM Coaching. And many call me an ultra endurance coach um, just because of all the different type of activities that my athletes do. And re I, my work revolves primarily around athletes that went pro in something other than the sport that they're doing. Um, they have careers, they have families. And so what I work on mostly with them is focusing the limited training time that they have on getting the best possible outcomes. And um, from that, The physical training is important, but I also really, really focus on the mindset and mental aspect of coaching for ultra endurance events. Mm, so, so uh, yeah. yeah, so I've been doing this for about 25 years, and um, I noticed early on that getting the athletes ready on the physical side was easy. Um, actually, many could get about 80% of the training done if needed um, based off of even off their own Uh, internet plan or a magazine or a book that they open. But what makes an ultra endurance athlete that I work with truly successful is combining the work with them on the mental component, performance mm. psychology, as I call it, and as well as some ta tactical and strategic knowledge that helps them overcome those challenges in getting ready for endurance events, um, not only physically, but mentally. Mm. So... so Yeah, before we talk about all that, um, Chris, could you please um, tell us uh, your personal story, how you got into swimming and ultra endurance and why you are so fascinated about fitness and health and endurance sports? So, Yeah, yeah, it's actually a really good question because I've never had to go back and wonder why as much, but I've had some really great coaches in my life. I was a swimmer growing up. I swam for Germany. Um, on the national team for many years, as well as also swam in the 92 Olympics, and then moved to triathlon in uh, about 1997. And it was interesting because many- Why you made the switch? Uh, like, yeah. yeah, it was because I wanted some sort of activity. I was curious about what others were doing. I saw, of course, the Ironman on TV, and it was a common curiosity of many former swimmers to sort of see what this, this event that includes swimming um, was. And so from there, I actually noticed that many former swimmers were taking part in triathlon. Mm. And I always How old were you back then? This must be uh, when I was 28, 28, 29. So I had been working and I was missing the physical component of my daily structure. I was uh, working in New York City and doing quite well with that, but I had been an athlete all my life and I missed that component. And so triathlon seemed like a um, natural way to continue doing something versus just being in the pool all the time, staring at a black line. Mm. So then I went from there, from swimming, I noticed that a lot of former swimmers were there and I sort of laughed because I said, this is where the elephants go to die. Um, all the old swimmers <laughs> seem to enjoy triathlon. And so I had some fun with that getting started with it. But then I really embraced the long stuff, the endurance um, aspect of Ironman triathlon. And I did that at a high level racing professionally, as well as also in the Hawaii Ironman for about 14 years. Mm, 
so so how did you personally make the shift of like being a swimmer and then finally like during Ironmans and ultra marathons and all that so um yeah yeah well it was something that happened naturally for me because I always liked the difficult events even in swimming I was a 400 IMer and a 200 butterflyer and not because I enjoyed those events well I did eventually but it was more because I saw it was difficult for everybody else and therefore I had less competition in it <laughs> and I thought well if there's less people there I could be more successful in it mm. um, I was willing to embrace the difficulty of it more and the same thing with triathlon I noticed more and more the longer I would go um, the better I could do relative to others it was still mm. painful it was still exhausting it was still tiring but i enjoyed being in that place versus um, the shorter more intense harder efforts i could go very long but not very fast mm. and and how how was the training protocol like looked like back then because like a lot of people are like using weights also and yeah, yeah. a lot of people doing like cross training in, in certain areas like like how how were you training back then Back then, I was actually training primarily biking and running because I had an extensive swim background. And I was also trying to change my body composition from being more of a swimmer physique to leaner, longer, um, um, thinner muscles so that I could do better on a bike and running versus carrying all that weight. So mm. I did not do a lot of strength work and I did not do a lot of cross training, primarily getting my biking legs and my running legs so that I could go really long over many, many, many hours. And what soon became um, many days as well when I would do migrated to 100 mile runs and so forth. Mm. So I think that a lot of people are like in this day and age, very interested in, in doing also marathons, uh, competing in marathons or doing an Ironman. But um, yeah, I think that a lot of people are like jumping onto this like crazy routines when they haven't been exercising the past years. And yes. um, yeah, could you please speak to that? So, Well, it's a gradual process, right? Many have a lot of excitement when they sign up for something and it's easy. Yeah. To That doesn't require a lot of fitness. You hit enter on the computer, you pay a little <laughs> money, and next thing you know, you're signed up for an event. I'm and going to do this. <laughs> and then next thing, it's, uh-oh, now I need to train for something that's six, 10 hours, 13 hours, 20 hours, <laughs> or 100-mile runs, so 160-kilometer runs. We're talking 25, 30, 35 hours. So... From there, that becomes the difficulty. And But there, I also always say, start gradually, start specifically, have intention, have clarity, have purpose around how you are going about your training. Be patient with yourself because you're mm -hmm. starting from scratch. And the more you jump ahead of what the current fitness version of you is, the more you increase the likelihood of getting sick or getting injured, and then you won't be training and doing the event. So you have to sort of know where you are, where you're starting from, mm. in the map and the path to where you want to get to. And many athletes have a good idea of where they want to get to. That's what they signed <laughs> up for. They, yeah, everybody, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But not everybody knows where they currently are. And in order to train effectively, you have to know where you currently are. And for many, that's at zero, which is totally fine. 
And that's the fun part about endurance events too, is most people can do them if they just take the time to diligently and thoughtfully prepare for them. Mm, yeah, and um, for me, like personally, I'm also struggling with the patience part. But um, <laughs> I've been like running like uh, the past like three or four months, and um, I think it's amazing how fast you are progressing if you are really like. Um, Yeah, if you are really like doing it all the time and you don't miss workouts and um, yeah, and I'm not doing like a, a, like a ton of miles. I'm like running 30 or 40 or 50 miles a week, but um, the progress is crazy and I've been just doing this for like a couple of months. So, yeah, yeah. And what you find is because the body learns, it, it is constantly learning and looking to become efficient in its motions. And so it notices that you're running every day and it mm. notices that this is what we are doing. It's sort of a we process, we together, mind, body, soul, spirit, um, cells, the entire organism says, oh, I'm running again. Let me prepare myself already for the run tomorrow, for the run this afternoon. Let me send signals throughout the body to continually mm. get it ready and efficient for doing what it's continuously doing. And that's the part that's so amazing in our bodies. It's constantly looking for the most efficient, energy-saving way to do what it needs to do. Um, and there's a homeostasis, it's called. Um, and that is this steady state to find the most optimal, efficient way to continue to do the activity that you're doing. That could be exercise, mm. that could be the way you eat, the way you sleep, right? That's how habits are created. And the same thing, whether it's with work and how you get to work and how you apply yourself at work and what your best work hours are in the morning or in the evening or at lunchtime. It's constantly learning and applying and looking for the most efficient way. And it doesn't work any different mm -hmm. in endurance training either. Yeah, so uh, Chris, I really love to, to, to uh, I would really love to talk about like the biggest lessons you have learned, like um, doing like so, so many like Ironmans and so on and so forth. But um, let, let, let's give our listeners something practical here, because I think that a lot of, uh, of our listeners are entrepreneurs who are also like interested in health and fitness. And um, yeah, what would you tell somebody who is like, um, yeah, who, who wants, who is like really inactive at the this point and um, who wants to do an Ironman so <laughs> what would you tell them like like give us your best advice here so <laughs> well, there's, there's a few things one you have time on your side if you don't look mm. for a specific outcome in a short time window look for something in a long time window so you have a plenty of time to build up and you don't have to judge yourself or worry about yourself missing some training If you have time, you can progress quite dramatically over 18 months, over 24 months. But if you look to sign up for an Ironman in five months, it's stressful. It's going to be a lot on the body. It's going to be too much. So it's a question of time. And then it's a question of mindset, right? Your intention, mm -hmm. your care to do this. Because you're doing something scary on the outer edge and outer boundary of what you believe you are capable of, You want to go about it in a systematic and sustainable manner. Now, systematic is sort of with a plan. It's training. But in a sustainable manner means that you can do it while still having a career, while still attending your family, to your family and your needs, your social needs or your community needs. And if you rush that, 
all those things will start crumbling down and you will not mm. be able to achieve the outcomes that you're looking for. So start small, take time, and notice week over week how you're doing a little bit more. And oftentimes I say, don't forget to look back to where you came from, where you started mm -hmm. when you were just doing a 30 minute run and now you're doing a 75 minute run comfortably. Um, looking back reminds us of the progress we've made. Mm, yeah, and, and and especially um, I think this this whole thing about things being like uh, sustainable is like so so important because I think that a lot of things are obtainable like short term like people like doing those like crazy crash diets and they get like crazy ripped but um you see them like three months later and <laughs> they are totally out of shape so <laughs> yeah and that's the hard part with especially um, with a lot of training methodologies these days but. If you go about it gently and gradually, it lasts a lot longer. Mm. Many, many of my athletes over the years have taken their fitness that they've built over months and years. And still, despite being finished with my coaching, not having another event to do, still come back and say, I carried that into hiking for six days through the Alps. I carried that for playing soccer. Amazing for three more months and it was great. I felt amazing because they built it very gradually and diligently. It lasts for a lifetime. And the other thing with that too is again, the body craves activity. It loves activity and that daily self-care allows us to be more creative, effective, patient, productive. And from that, it also creates this version of you, this athletic version of you that you don't want to give up. And that's usually the tipping point. That's where the athlete, whether they're complete beginners or elite athletes, they realize, wow, having this athletic component to myself every day, whether that's 30 minutes or 45 minutes, that piece where I can just be myself with myself, listen to my body, go inwards is incredibly powerful. You don't need much, but having that little window every day to allow for you and your daily self-care and the best athlete version of yourself to come forward allows you to give so much more during the day to family, mm. to work, to anything else around you because you took care of yourself for a little mm. bit every day. And it's a very powerful feeling that many, many um, no longer have because they're so stressed and busy in their life, but it doesn't take much And as I always say, if you can find time for your own self, for self-care, you can maximize yourself even with limited training time and you can give so much more if you take mm. care of yourself. Yeah, and I think if you're making like exercise like a part of your life instead of your life, you're also like having like way, way, way more support from your family and friends and oh, yeah. What you're saying there is actually very important when your family and friends, it's a little bit more complicated at work because there's there's ego things going on and jealousy because they see you're committed to health and fitness. Mm. So it, it's a bit strange at work, but your family and your friends, they see your commitment. They see that you signed up for this big goal and they want to support you because they see how committed and the work you're doing, you're getting up early, you're making it happen and they want to support you. It's mm -hmm. when you're not consistent and you say, ah, I signed up for this, but I'll train next month. Then they're less supportive because they don't see how much you're really putting into it, how much it means to you. So then it just becomes something on the side. 
Mm. It's everything feeds itself. It's actually quite interesting because the more you stay consistent, again, not a lot of hours, this could be 30, 40 minutes a day. Um, It becomes more um, uh, embracing and popular with all those around you. Yeah, and I think also um, if you are like really active, like you said, and consistent, you also like uh, inspire the people around you. Like for instance, like uh, my brother was always just lifting weights and he's like a big, big dude, like taller than me and like this big. And um, but I started running like a couple of months ago and now he's also into running. So yeah, Yeah. Yeah. your changes, your energy. Yeah. That I believe that we have sort of an energy around us when again, we've taken care of ourselves daily um, with some exercise and some getting our heart rate up. It makes us more the vitality in our body, it shines and people mm. on that energy and they see it and you have a glow to you. And again, as well as you take care of yourself, it allows you to take care of others and give way more, way more because you've taken care of yourself a little bit every day. Mm. So um, in your opinion, because you are the expert here, Chris, like um, how would somebody go about this uh, training wise? Like somebody who is like not active at all, not fit at all. Like how would you approach it? Like how should they get in shape? Like what are the actual steps? Like take them from 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 zero to, to Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah well, please many, to that. Say, if they have the intention to do an Iron Man, let's start with small steps. So Ironman and an endurance event like that is your North Star sitting way out there. And again, we said we wanted to give ourselves time to be successful. And so it's shorter events for sure along the way. That's important to sort of get a feel for and see the successes of your training along the way. Then there's also not being too rigid upon a set path towards your North Star, but instead allowing yourself to veer off the path a few times you're still heading in the right direction so if you miss training or if you're not feeling as good or if your fitness well, is what are you sorry what are you uh, meaning by miss training if no missing training if you're ah, miss missing training missed a day mm. so many then because they missed a day or three they fall off their path but it's okay you still did more than last week you still did more than a month ago And so that daily progression, that understanding week over week, month over month, getting just a little bit better, better than yesterday and planning to be better tomorrow is all part of that path. And again, if you haven't done anything, starting with a 20 minute walk, starting with a 45 minute walk and gradually building up some running in that walk and gradually learning to ride your bike properly for, let's say, an hour. And what I mean by properly is by nonstop. Um, gradually learning to get back in the pool. The great thing, in, especially in Germany, is that you have a lot of swimming pools, you have a lot of outdoor mm. activity. Everybody knows how to do those three sports. It's quite popular in the culture. But again, starting gradually, not looking to do too much at once, and rewarding yourself along the way with shorter events or training goals that you, you achieve and feel really good about. And so that could be, I did an hour today on my bike. Well, that's great. That was my intention for this month or this week. And I did it and growing from there too often. We set these 
big audacious goals out in the future and we never get there so we fall off or mm. miss, like we said two or three days and therefore say ah so instead i say focus on putting together another two three days and maybe it becomes a fourth day maybe it mm. doesn't maybe it's too much so stop at three days but you do many three days with a day off in between eventually your body will recognize what it's doing and it'll feel better and better doing it. It's always very hard to start. The start is always difficult. Mm. Our body is resisting us and we're, we feel off. And in order to overcome that first resistance, we just have to push through. Mm. I really love the part about momentum because I think like, For me personally, momentum is like so, so huge. Like, for instance, if I'm like a bit out of shape and I weigh like three or four kilos, like more, it's like so hard to start a diet. Like, <laughs> But but if I'm like super lean, like it's so easy. I feel like at the moment I can eat whatever I want to and I gain like nothing. I can yeah. eat pizza all day. And it doesn't matter. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, so your body is just knowing what it's doing and it's maximizing maximizing itself in that routine so mm. it's very common, very common and so when you start a new routine it doesn't know what's going on it doesn't know what to adapt to are we going back to the old self or are we going to this new self or are we staying right here in between you're adding more and more hours every week to my training i can't find efficiencies here so that's why it's also important to take our time yeah so so um What would you tell somebody who is like listening to this and um, wants to take your advice and really wants to, to compete in an Ironman, for instance, um, but he's like really, really struggling with this whole exercise part? Like, what would you tell them mindset wise? Well, the, again, the important thing is to have an interest in becoming that different person, right? It mm. starts with you. It has to come from you. And if it's not there and you're doing it because of others or external validation or reasons, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to keep. Mm. But if you are interested in it and if you would like to achieve it, then it comes from you internally and allows you to sort of start that approach of getting out the door every day. And I do a lot of things like setting up routines or writing out index cards the night before. Tomorrow I will. Um, walk mm. 30 minutes, run 30 minutes. Tomorrow I will go to the swimming pool and just see even, even if you just go to the swimming pool, see the routine, see how long it will take, see what it, it will cost, see how the window of time to get back home for dinner or whatever, or breakfast if you're going in the morning, that already is a better version of you than yesterday because you mm. know now how to do it. You were thinking about it at least. And a lot of people say, oh, well, just thinking about it isn't enough. But if it keeps coming up in your mind and you're thinking about it properly, it's already a better athlete version of yourself than yesterday. And mm. it's those little wins of understanding I am getting better. I am understanding this more. I am trying to get out there. And it's difficult in the beginning, but yeah, that's why I would also recommend working with somebody that holds you accountable, that advocates for you, that works with you, that shows mm. you. Look at where you are now versus last week. You, you ate a little bit smarter. You walked a little bit. You ran a little bit. You swam a little bit. You biked a little bit, whatever it is, and then helping you realize, wow, 
I really am doing this and I feel terrible. Well, you're supposed to feel terrible. This is how it's difficult. But having somebody to run ideas by, to complain to, to just have somebody to talk to is a big deal. Mm. It doesn't have to be a coach. It could be a family member who, or it could be a friend. And what I often say is put something out there. Say, if I don't train, I will donate this money to charity. Mm. <laughs> Powerful, right? yeah. yeah. So some motivators around that. And it doesn't have to be anything um, too financially big. It's more a question of my time I could donate. Or instead, I will walk to the um, S-Bahn or U-Bahn that day and understand around that this is how it'll work. Mm, yeah and i think um the first part was like really really important and i'm um, i want to make sure that nobody missed it because i think that if you have the the right amount of desire like you can do anything so yeah. i think that people actually in this day and age they don't like the information on the most part but um they really like the, the desire to to do whatever it takes so to speak yeah motivation goes away I don't like yeah. motivation. It's a short-term um, um, feeling because when it's difficult and it's f dark, especially in the winter, and you need to get outside and go for a run or get in your car and go for a swim, motivation goes away quickly. It's discipline and it's commitment. But because it's we're doing something scary outside of our comfort zone, something new, and we combine it with that desire, therefore, mm -hmm. that that creates that commitment that creates that belief that we can if it was something that we already know how to do we're not getting up in the morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's scary that we don't believe we can do it also becomes very difficult to get up in the morning because it's so far out of reach but it's mm -hmm. believable and it's something we want so the commitment combines those two something we want desire with belief that we can do it creates commitment Mm, this is so um like what are the mistakes that you are typically seeing when somebody like um really wants to compete but hasn't been like an athlete before or isn't like really fit right from the start so yeah what yeah. are the typical mistakes so well they bite off more than they can chew right that that's too much at once they're really excited and it's not sustainable after three four weeks or three, four months of doing really good training and really shocking their body into doing all this new, bigger endurance training that they then quickly burn out because physically they're tired, um, emotionally they're tired, and adrenally they're tired. Their body also says, we're done. It's too much at once. So I see that quite often, that people are very excited to get going. They join a gym. They join a swim team. They join a triathlon club. They join all kinds of things. They're working really hard. They may even find a coach. And then about three, four months, it's not sustainable. It becomes mm. too big of a lifestyle change. The other piece I see a lot is that athletes, um, they judge themselves too much. They, they're too hard on themselves. Oh, well, now I do. Mm. And that's the important part, too, is if we have to be willing to forgive ourselves and that we're on a long-term path. It's not going to go overnight to build an engine that you haven't had your entire life. 
And when we see other athletes, many of them have been at it for many months and years already, or they've been past athletes, so they know how to restart the engine. You know, it's sitting there with the key in the engine and just sort of waiting for the engine to turn over. Once it's turning over and running, it can go for a long time, but we can't ask it to do too much too early. Mm, and um, I would also love to hear your opinion on this because um, I think a lot of people there like trying to start something like it doesn't matter if it's lifting weights or running they're like having like a so so complicated exercise routine and I'm like what the fuck because like, for me personally some people think that I'm like having like a complicated exercise routine and I'm like just doing like two compound lifts per per uh Per, per workout and I'm working out like three days a week in the gym. So <laughs> it's nothing complicated at all. So keeping it simple is very important because again, you can, it doesn't make it too difficult to complete the task. It keeps you moving mm. forward. You can also measure results a little bit better. And again, we're all no longer in our twenties. So if you're traveling for work or if you have other commitments, make doing an exercise routine or a training routine that's too complicated <laughs> becomes something you cannot maintain. And so we want to keep it simple. We even want to keep it, especially in an endurance sense, sense where you're always trying to do different workouts, swim, bike, or run, that you want to be able to do them anywhere at any time. So move around your week because today my children have a soccer game or tomorrow mm. traveling. All right, well, I'll run while I'm traveling or I'll do a bike ride at home on a trainer before I go to the airport. Things like that where you build it into your life. And that's the important thing. What I do with a lot of my clients is working with them to maximize the limited training time that they have so that they still are on the path towards growth, progression, and the endurance event they want to do. Mm. So, so um, because I think that a lot of coaches are like saying like, oh, you should always keep it simple. And some coaches say that there's a time and place for having like a complicated work, workout routine or exercise regime. So um, yeah, what is your take on that? Well, it depends, again, what they're getting ready for. The beauty of mm. endurance events is if you can do 80% of the training, you'll be pretty fit. Um, most athletes are fit enough when they get to the event. It's then a question of nutrition and hydration and pacing and strategy. Um, mm. Because, again, they went pro in something other than the sport that they're doing, so they're not going to win. So now it's about finishing and feeling good feeling good about the result, feeling good about that current athlete version of yourself, of who you are in the now, not when, who you were in your 20s, not some <laughs> great elite athlete, but given that you have a family, given that you work, are you happy? Is your outcome, is your desired outcome from the, for this event realistic? And then how good do you feel about it? Because mm. the other thing to keep in mind too is, um, if it gets more complicated, we're also setting expectations of, wow, I'm doing this pretty intense, complicated training. So therefore, I must be a better version than I actually am. And mm -hmm. you're right. There is a time and place for that as we grow and become more experienced. But at first, it's about doing the event, feeling good, finishing with a smile on your face and saying, wow, that was amazing. I want to do this again, or I want to maintain this healthy endurance lifestyle.
because endurance is truly who we are as human beings from an evolutionary standpoint. We are meant to go long, to go many hours. I mean, that's how our body works versus other um, animals on the planet. We can hunt for many, many, many hours versus others fatigue or others need different type of fueling or others need different um, type of hydration. So we're designed to be endurance beings. And so when we do it in our daily lives, when we can connect with that, we're connecting with something very deep inside us, something very primal. And again, it brings forward a version of us that people really, really connect with. Mm. So um, you having said that we had like some some very, very popular exercising or health experts on, on the show. And um, one of them said that um, he thinks that uh, doing marathons and like extreme sports, so to speak, um, isn't very healthy and i was like mm, i don't know about that because um i i would rather like be able to do a marathon than <laughs> yeah than than being exhausted after running 5k so um yeah but i would love to hear your take on this so yeah sure i mean the the challenge again is if we don't prepare for it properly gradually in a healthy sustainable way yes it, endurance events can become um wear the body down and it can mm. become unhealthy and it can become um, whether from a heart standpoint up but a bone standpoint and our structure standpoint and adrenally and nutritionally can hurt us it can break us down so that we're not healthy but if we do it in a sustainable gradual way it is by far the healthiest activity over the mm. long and short bursts of energy. And most compare endurance athletics to something like high intensity interval training because we have limited time and therefore where do we get the most bang for our buck, right, as they say. But when you're looking for the overall health from the body, from the head to the toes, internally and externally, spiritually and mentally, overall endurance, in my opinion, allows this the most because it allows you mm. time for yourself, time to think, time to activate a deeper consciousness, a time to get the heart gradually going, pumping oxygen to the working muscles. All this is part of our total being versus just one component of it, strength or intervals or speed. When you put it all together in a full holistic approach, Endurance athletics is the only one that truly touches on that, all of them. Mm, yeah, and I think um, like the context is like really, really important. Like, sure, I feel like sleeping four hours every day, and we are under eating, and like, uh, and you are like exercising for a couple of hours every day. Like, yeah, good luck with that. But um, <laughs> well, that also yeah. shouldn't be the outcome. You shouldn't mm. be that tired. You shouldn't be that hungry. You shouldn't be that exhausted. That means your body is sending you signals and signs that your training is not being sustained and done in a healthy way because those are all signals that we're off balance and that's the important thing to keep in mind too if it's done gradually and built over the long term with a, an engine a diesel engine that will last for many many hours and therefore months um, it should be something that you barely notice and that over yes you are hungrier but then you eat more because you're burning more and it, nothing is sudden 
And the same thing is if you're completely exhausted and need to take a nap every day, it means something on your training is jumping ahead too quickly. And again, it's not sustainable. You will lose motivation if that's the case. Mm. And I think you, you've touched upon a, a very important subject and, and um, yeah, recognizing biofeedback because I think that a lot of people like are really struggling with that. They're like feeling, oh, um, I need some carbohydrates and then they, I don't know, like take a bag of sugar or something. So <laughs> yeah, of course, there's a time and place for that. But um, you, I think you know what I'm trying to say. So. Yeah, it's part of your daily load, right? Your overall daily load when you go to bed at night, hopefully to get a good eight hours of sleep, you want to keep in mind your training and your stress overall. So put those two together. That's your daily load. You have stress and your body is affected by stress at work or stress with family. It's part of your load. Now your training stress shouldn't make that shouldn't tip that over the scales, over your balance, but your training load should su supplement that. And if the two aren't in balance and one is more than the other, well, then you're wasting your time training too because you're not absorbing that training. You're not adapting to that training because mm. your stresses in the rest of your life, in the, your day, are too much for you to properly absorb that. That's what I would call exercising, not training. When you're training and you're adapting and absorbing the The, the thing that you're doing, that you're training, then you're getting stronger. You feel better. You feel invigorated. You feel healthy, not exhausted. You feel growth, not um, fatigue. And so you get better week over week, day after day. Whereas if you're just exercising, you go in those swings of I'm exhausted. Mm. Right. And the important thing also, what you just said with feeding yourself with carbohydrates and sugars Those are short bursts. Again, they're not addressing the bigger stress and overall fatigue and load of your day by a short sugar hit or some carbs to make you feel better. Um, you'll still be adrenally fatigued at night and physically fatigued at night. Mm. So um, could you please share with our listeners, because um, I would I, I think that everybody would love to hear this, like um, your biggest mistakes that you've personally made as an athlete. Like, and yeah, you could maybe continue with your story and uh, competing in Ironmans and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, everything that I basically coach off of, I've done myself, right? <laughs> from, whether from swimming to Ironman to 100-mile runs or even longer expeditions and challenges that I've done, it's a question of uh, since I still do them and I do them, I'm constantly observing the mistakes, A, that I've made and how people might go in the wrong direction because mm -hmm. I feel myself going in those directions. Whether it's training too much at once, I've done that and gotten injured. Whether it's not in a sustainable manner, um, I've done that and, and hurt some relationships and some family aspects. Um, so most of the mistakes that ma um, many athletes make out there, I've been there and I've done them. <laughs> So, and getting too excited or not having a clear path, all those things, I've done that from the busy career and neglecting health and eating wrong and sleeping wrong and overlooking all the components to help us become better athletes. I've exercised versus trained where I just go through the motions. And so all the mistakes that are out there, I've definitely felt them, done them and uh, tried to correct over a long period of time. I mean, I've been doing this now, endurance athletics for 
25 plus years. With swimming, you can say 45 years because I started when I was four, three or four years old. So even more, 46, 47 years. So it's all part of the failures that we go through in order to learn from them, right? Mm. And um, biggest mistakes is hard to say because I've made so many. Um, but again, I'm on a path and I say, well, okay, just because I fell off the train tracks or moved away from the path, I'm still heading in the direction that I want to. And because of that failure, because of that mistake, it has just put me back towards the path of my North Star, which is whether that's health and fitness and the lifestyle or events even, um, continuing mm -hmm. to move towards them. I always say it's not a question if we're going to achieve our endurance outcomes. It's how and when, how we're going to go about it, whether it's gradual and um, with what kind of mindset as well as what kind of training we can do. And when, when will we achieve the endurance outcome? It's not up to us, right? We have, we have life and we have career that can get in the way. And so the best athletes, those that enjoy this training the most and have the most uh, long lasting outcomes always say to me after, Chris, I might have failed a few times, but my journey, my path, the way I achieved it with those failures, I would want not, would not want to have it any other way because mm. my path, that was my story, that was my failure, and it now made me a better version. I wouldn't have wanted to complete mm. or achieve my goals the way if it would have been two years ago without these challenges, without this growth, without this understanding of who I am. And so that's why I always say, don't think about the how and the when as much as that you will. That's back to that belief that you can do something mm. outer boundary of what you can imagine. And then allow life to happen as you're committed to doing it. Because you should never wonder if, if, mm. It will never help you get there. Knowing that you will do that first Ironman, knowing that you will do your first marathon, your first 10 kilometer run. And then how will I go about it? I'll figure that out with some training and mm. with some help and with some commitment and some discipline. Great. When? Might not be in six months. It might not be in a year, but I know I will do it and I will find my path and my story in order to get there. Mm, I will steal this quote from you. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, but 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 I totally agreed. And I think there's like also like a big misconception about people like being in, in great shape and being fit that you need to suffer. Because like if you are at uh, looking at Instagram and you're seeing this quote like, oh, you you have to sacrifice this and that and you have to like, I don't know, go crazy. And um, <laughs> I think, yeah, okay sure there's like a certain time and place for that and yeah there are also like hard times but I think that you can be in great great shape and you can look amazing feel amazing and yeah you still can be competitive in certain areas okay. while having a great lifestyle while having like a great mindset and feeling great and yeah not being too restrictive and all that healthy and sustainable that's the key And for a lot of my athletes, they might not even have an event that they're getting ready for. They've done other events with me, but they say, I want to be 12 weeks or 16 weeks away from deciding to do an event. So I keep them at a fitness level, at a strength level, at a, a 
integrity level from a durability and fitness and strength component level that if they say you know what my friends are um climbing the uh, mont blanc then mm -hmm. i say all right now we're 16 weeks in in 12 weeks we can be ready for that or they say i want to do an ironman in um in a few months all right we have the base level of fitness to now pivot to that and focus on that and keeping that uh, minimum level of fitness and strength and durability going to take on any of the challenges and events and the exciting things that are out there that's the fun once you've gotten that level of fitness and health and mindset that you can then, you don't have to just do Ironman. You don't have to just run. You don't have to just do something. You can take on anything and be at least good enough to do it with all your friends or do it or, or satisfy your own curiosity to get it done. So, so you, you speaking about like finding this like minimum effective dose, like yeah. how should one like go about finding that? Because I think it all comes down to experimentation, but um, yeah, could you please speak to that and address that? Yeah. I mean, from a minimum effective training level or fitness level, if we bring it back to that, um, minimum effective fitness, where it's a sustainable, repeatable week or month of training that you feel good, that you can integrate it into your daily life and mm -hmm. with that strength component an endurance component a core and chassis integrity component so that you're strong enough and fit enough so that your body can then when it's ready to decide what it wants to do handle the load that you're about to throw on top of that minimum effective fitness um, being able to be having the connection with your body having the fitness um, that minimum effective fitness to then add the, the stress and the load of what you're about to take on, whatever that event is, is what you, that's the minimum where you want to be. So for mm. many, that's a different level, right? For some who are elite athletes, that's a lot higher fitness level than those who might be newer to all of this. But as you get fitter, And as you do this for a longer period of time, that minimum effective fitness will rise as well and continue to get better and better. And you will be more excited and motivated to stick with it because you see, wow, I used to think my minimum effective fitness or feel it was this. And now <laughs> I feel great doing all of this and it's still working. I'm still in balance. I'm still able to sustainably do this without hurting family or career, right? Because we need to stay mm. not balanced. Balanced is impossible. You'll never have your athletic version, your, your family version, and your um, professional version be in perfect balance. But I call mm. it three-legged stool. And if the, each one of those legs has some sort of length to it, has some sort of expression to it, it then allows you to maybe not um, sit balanced on the stool, but at least you can sit on it and do all three. Mm, yeah, and like you've said, it's like really a, mov a moving target. Like, um, like for instance, like when I'm looking back at my like running career, so to speak, um, <laughs> like a couple of months ago, like my super, super, super hard runs, like all out, is like my easy run now, like yeah. 100% my easy run. So yeah. Yeah. That's, it's that's like fitness layer upon layer upon layer. I mean, 
even from the most beginning uh, beginning steps of any type of fitness, it's just a layer. And you're going to build upon that layer and upon that layer. And even if you only do it twice a week or three times a week or only 20 minutes, it's still a layer that you will build upon and continuously using that to understand I'm building a layer. Mm. So um, you having is speaking about like like balance. I think that um, it's a bit controversial because so, so many people are trying to have balance in their life and trying to achieve balance. So could you please maybe like unfold that for our audience? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying um, just earlier. It's hard to maintain balance. And we're looking for this perfection of everything being equal. What we think mm -hmm. is balance. And in my opinion, I believe that we go through phases in our lives, in our days, in our months, in our year, where work is more important. So it's mm. not be in balance or family requires more, whether it's someone is sick or just an age of the children or a phase that you're in with your wife or husband where you say, you know, right now, this is the priority. So trying to balance them all equally is very, very Uh, practically impossible to do. Now, mm. throw in another component of this self-care, of this training, of this endurance expression of yourself. There might be times where work isn't as busy and family is all good and they're supporting you as your endurance version of yourself expresses itself and it is taking more of your time. And we need to be comfortable and accept that we flow through these different states of ourselves and trying to be in balance is going to be an impossible task to constantly chase and instead recognizing, well, currently I'm in a family uh, stage where it requires more of my attention and my athletic self and my work self are shorter legs of the stool. And then other times, the leg of the work stool, of the career stool, of our professional lives is longer because it requires more of our attention. And so they all rotate a little bit and they'll never be in perfect harmony and balance, but at least you're still, there's still a component of your daily life. We don't want the stool to completely go, the leg to completely go away. Otherwise, it's no longer a stool. You fall over. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But all three need to part, hopefully are a part of your day. And so even if it's not level the surface of the stool, but at least you can sit on it and use mm -hmm. all the legs. Yeah, and I think that um, like at, at, at a certain level, like, um, yeah, like professional athletes and, and people like at the highest level, like, yeah, you have to focus on something at a certain point, right? Or, uh, yeah, yeah I well, guess. And also, if you focus too much of it, right, even professional athletes, if they're too focused on their sports and burn the other two legs of the stool, their personal life, and their professional life without, in this case, athletics is their profession. So let's say it maybe it's their own growth or it's um, um, continuing to educate yourself or having some other interests. Because if you focus too much on the one thing, if anything goes wrong, your foundation, the only leg you stand on <laughs> starts falling. And we don't mm. want that either. Even some of the most elite athletes that I've worked with 
from world champions and so forth, I always want them to have another avenue to put their energy to so that they're not just completely basing their days and their emotions and how they view their own personal life with just the training. Because if you have a bad training session, I don't want your day to be completely shattered. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and, and let's be honest here. I think that everybody can relate to that. So if, if your relationships are terrible, like good luck with having like a great workout regime. So <laughs> oh, sure. yeah. yeah, it's important. You need that support network. You need that balance. You need that different perspective because otherwise you're stuck in a tunnel of just evaluating everything and yourself based off the training. And so it becomes mm. very important to have a balance in that respect, an outlet of others and other things to be interested in versus just focusing on one thing. And even the, at the highest level, I mean, you look at Olympic athletes, you look at some of the gold medal, medal winners, they all, if you look closely, have other things in their lives happening so that they can take their mind off the training. And I think it's also like counterproductive, like uh, a great example would be, I guess, like people who are on a diet and they're like only focusing on the diet. It's like, yeah. yeah, like I want my diet to be on autopilot. Like I don't want to think about my diet at all. And yeah. it works like a charm. But um, yeah, if, if I'm like, like super paranoid about my diet, I would cheat on my diet. I will eat too much. And yeah, well, yeah. it's not sustainable. Right. It's not sustainable. Mm. It's not sustainable. You make you also um, make excuses for yourself. You justify different changes and so forth. Mm. And you, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's since it's the only thing you have to focus on. Yeah. Sounds familiar to me. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, coming back to your story, like mm -hmm. um, did you had like any worst moments like any worst moments that come to mind in your career like when everything went wrong like your training wasn't going well and you had a really tough time well from a, from an athlete standpoint there's definitely in 1996 and trying to make the olympic team and failing big time there mm. and not being successful with that and having wasted um, what i felt Right. In hindsight, it's not wasted because it was all part of the progression and my story, how and when, not um, that I made it or didn't make it. I needed that to be part of my story. But at the time, it felt like failure and missing and uh, wasting time. But um, from an athletic standpoint, because I've always taken such a long term view, it's um, been a very gradual process. I didn't win Ironman Hawaii in my age group for 10 years. Um, I got second, I got third, I got fifth, I got second, I got sixth, I got third. <laughs> so I was everywhere besides winning. And then when I finally won, it wasn't a question of if, I knew I would. It was relief of knowing that I finally did because I knew I was capable of it. It was a question of how and when. So the biggest failures have always been, I've been very fortunate in that way, have always worked out to be part of the story of how it needed to happen like this. Um, mm -hmm. When I've um, not finished an Ironman because of injury or other concerns, 
Um, I've always had a good next event and it was great because I've always been able to say, well, had I not failed there, had I not made that mistake there, I would have had today's result. And today's result feels great. And that's exactly what I was saying earlier. I want the athlete to say to me, you know what? I would not want to have it any other way. Mm. So could you please speak about like how were you like personally dealing with those tough times and what is your best advice for everybody who is listening to this who's also maybe going through tough times like maybe like their career isn't like working their relationships are terrible or like their their, their workout regime or tr work training uh, routine doesn't work out so yeah what is your best advice for everybody who's like having like a tough time and yeah how, how are you personally dealing with having tough times so well for me it's looking forward For sure. It's understanding and reflecting and um, what it was that was going wrong or what is currently happening, taking a disattached view of it and looking at myself and evaluating, but then also always looking to analyze on going forward. What course of action am I going to take in order to improve the situation? As a famous football coach here in, in the U.S. says, college football coach, he says, How are you going to embrace the change of the circumstance? How are you going to deal with the circumstance? How are you going to overcome that circumstance? That's what makes you stronger. That's what makes you mm. resilient. How are you dealing with the circumstance? Because the, the fact is nothing changes the, the, that we all have difficulties in our lives or that we will be met with um, pain or fear or difficulties. It's how we deal with it, how we look at ourselves and how we take action around it. And that's the important thing is that we accept the pain, accept the fear, accept the dark times, accept mm. that it's going to be difficult and realize that it will get sunny again. And on the other side of that, it will be um, a better version of you if you deal with the circumstance properly. And that's what I've always been fortunate enough to work with and through is whether it's on self-growth or leaning on friends and family and partners in order to just work through what the circumstance is and coming out as a better version of that and knowing that that was part of the path. Mm, I think what you're saying is right, but um, I think that if you're going like through those tough times, it's like really hard to to see oh, yeah. this like clearly. That's, that's the pain, right? And what I've learned um, through other quotes of, um, I'm not sure of the author who brought this up, but what I really like is suffering is pain and resistance to the pain. If we mm. just embrace the pain, we understand, well, this is just temporary it's pain it's always present darkness the yin and the yang the shadows are always there but if we resist that pain if we fight it if we don't accept that it's part of everything then it becomes suffering and resistance often with pain means that we stay in a bad mood and we stay in that bad place that we foster and tell ourselves that story of being well it's just who i am or mm. or i have it difficult that's resisting the pain and makes it suffering and makes it last longer but instead 
totally realizing we all have pain. The most successful people in the world have pain as well. And it's a question of how you um, embrace it, give it a warm hug, doesn't need to stay very long, <laughs> leave it at the front door, but notice that it's there. And mm -hmm. instead of resisting it, let it pass and work beyond it. And because if you're working with pain, you can understand where it's coming from, why it's manifesting itself, and what you might have done to bring the pain about. If you resist it, if you ignore it, if you push it away, if you don't accept it, it becomes suffering, becomes something that lasts longer and becomes a state that you stay in, suffering. Mm, yeah, and I think um, it's like really um, that a lot of people are really trying to resist it. Like, um, yeah. like you said, they, they are like saying, oh, yeah, it's never going to change and it's never going to get better. And, and, and I always like to say, if you're saying that, yeah, it must be true. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but of course, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's also where the athlete aspect comes in and why all of us getting ready for something helps prepare us for that. Because in training, you have pain. Your body is sending you difficulties and pain signals from the training. But because you have the pain, you know what you're doing is working. If it, mm. weren't, if it weren't painful, if it weren't difficult, if it didn't create a challenge, then what you're getting ready for, whether it's in personal life or in work life or in training life, it wouldn't be um, something that motivates you and is legitimate. But you have to feel the pain in order to come out on the other side, knowing that you actually did something, knowing that you are actually accomplishing something. If there wasn't pain, it wouldn't be a challenge. Mm. And so um, same thing, learning to embrace that pain daily in training, learning to see yourself. Wow, I went to the pool despite not wanting to at five in the morning or at six in the morning. The water was cold and I got through that. I embraced that difficulty. I saw that pain and I pushed beyond it. That is where you turn it into a, something that you embrace, that you work with. And when you learn how to work with pain, whether in, in an athletic way or in a personal way or in a professional way, you can learn to not resist it more and more. And then it just becomes something that's part of our everyday. There's pain around us every single day, but it doesn't need to be something that needs to be as negative as we make it to be. It's part of reality and living with it and dancing with it, as I say, and accepting it and then working beyond it and saying, that's okay, that's great, you're a part of me, but I'm not gonna make you my story. I'm gonna dance with mm. you, but then I'm gonna change partners and dance with somebody else and that is where I'm happy and I'm enjoying my work or my family or and so forth. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of coaches or, um, yeah, professionals say that, um, like if you're going through good times, you should also, also like a uh, future pace yourself and think about like what might, uh, go like terribly wrong in the future. Yeah. Like, are you also a big believer in that or do you think, um, it's unnecessary? I think there's peaks and valleys all the time. And knowing mm. when you're in a valley that there will be a new peak, and when you're in a peak, knowing that the valley is coming is totally fine. But if we can um, understand that better, the peaks and valleys won't be as steep and deep. They will become mm -hmm. more level. 
So it's sort of like going through the Himalayans or just some some hillsides. It's it's way less impactful when it's just some rolling hills of peaks and valleys versus incredibly high and then back down to incredibly low. We recognize that in ourselves. And again, the more we go through it, the more we embrace pain, the more we recognize, oh, here it comes. And mm. this is where I am right now. And guess what? Whenever I've been in pain and look, I've come out of it. It's not so mm. terribly scary. It's not terribly permanent. It, I'll, I'll kick out. But while I'm in it, I understand it. I can grow from it. That's like what many people say. I'd rather live at the ones and twos and the nines and tens versus always just stuck at five and six. Right. Mm. Feel, feel pain, understand it, embrace it, dance with it. Like I said, at the one and twos. And those are terrible times and you're upset, but it makes the nines and tens, the good times so much more valuable. And we see it in a different light because we felt the ones and twos. It makes the nine and tens feel amazing. And then Mm. the ones and twos will come again. But always at a five or always at a six, sure, you avoid pain, but you also avoid the highs and the beauty and the, the, the crazy joy of life. Yeah. So, Chris, we have talked about the worst times that you've had and the mistakes that you've made. But um, tell us about the good times. So, um, yeah, what, what have been the best times in your career, so to speak? So, Well, the best times are constantly for me, and I'm super fortunate like that, um, are in the now. Um, where I'm taking all of my life experiences and all the stories and the things that have happened in my life, and I can live in them with them in the now, from relationships to personal growth to um, professional growth, and constantly realizing and recognizing and having fun with and laughing about what it, it all has manifested to right now. And that's the best part of living in the here and now is that I can take all those failures, all those highs and lows, all those difficulties and all the times things went super easy and live with that knowledge, with live with that life experience and enjoy every moment right now. That's how, I mean, a lot of people ask me, do you have plans or what's your five-year plan or where are you going? I don't live like that. I live that it will present itself because the version of me right now will not be the version I want to be in three years It's been mm. something I don't know what it's grown to. And when I get there, it will have presented itself. I'm not trying to control it. I want to live completely in that space of the entire life of experiences and failures and successes in the now and then having fun with that. Mm, I like that. But um, do you also think that other people shouldn't have like long term plans or Is it like your personal preferences? Um, well, that also ties into um, experiences, right? I've mm. always been fortunate enough that it has presented itself. Um, and whenever I have made long-term plans, because things have changed so dramatically, mm. what I had said I wanted to do <laughs> was no longer that person. So if I say in three years from now, I want to achieve this. Well, in two years from now, I might not be interested in that future outcome mm. anymore. And so I've just spent two years focusing on something that I 
and personally have pivoted from. Now, of course, we grow along the way and change and become better versions of ourselves as we're moving towards that. But I've always been lucky with that and fortunate enough that it's worked out for me. But long-term goals, absolutely. It helped me early in my years with swimming and, and saying uh, and trying to achieve future outcomes for sure. I'm just not very goal-oriented because in that respect, I don't want to limit myself to black or white, where it's mm. if I achieve that goal, I'm successful. If I don't, mm. I'm a failure. So I just take a broader path and saying, I'm heading in this direction. I'm doing the best I possibly can in the now to move towards that future outcome. I can't do more than that. I can, mm. as you know, with many of the clients and people that you speak to and our listeners, we oftentimes we take on so much and we can only the be who we are in the now. We can't be better. If we're giving it our best, we can only get to a future outcome by giving it our best today versus pretending we can do more, pretending we used to be a younger version of ourselves that could do everything, pretending to what the person who didn't have kids or who didn't have a family or who didn't have a busy career. We all have that in our memory and think we can do so, so much more, but instead we can only do our best in the now. And if we're doing our mm. best, we will achieve future outcomes, how it's meant to be, back to the how and when. Whereas mm. goals and specific outcomes are so hard. They set us up for success or failure. Either you've achieved it or you haven't. That doesn't mean you gave it your best along the way. You grew and manifested into a different you along the way. And so that already is success. That's the journey. Yeah, and uh, I think that a lot of people that are having like those long-term plans and long-term goals, they're like not really focused on what they are sh what they should be doing today. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Looking at their future self, and that's what I was just saying earlier with loving living in the present and seeing everything come to its fruition and manifests itself in the here and now because this is where we're supposed to be in the here and now and being mm. too focused on the future version of ourselves means we never get to enjoy who we are right now we grew to this point right you've grown to this point because of a lot of history and work and story and where you're meant to be this is where you're meant to be right now so let's enjoy where we are right now in order to then continue to use that positive energy, that joy, that love to grow into the future version of you. That will happen either way, whether you look at it, force it, want it, it's mm. going to get there in some way. So enjoy it in the now. It'll Powerful. make you learn more. It'll let you recognize more, let you accept more and learn to live in this life, in the here and now. I heard a quote the other day of um, the kingdom of heaven is here on earth, right? Mm. Population, everyone, because it's right here. It's in front of us. Living in our best, beautiful version every day in front of us is half the fun. Mm. So I love this. So um, I don't know if this is a correct uh, observation, but um, you seem to be a, a bit like spiritual. Is it right? Very much so. Yeah, I believe in tying that combined with endurance athletics into one component.
So could you please speak to, to, to your most profound learnings, like exploring all those topics? Because I think especially in this day and age, so, so many people are interested in all those things. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I went through um, a divorce uh, probably ooh, 10 or 11 years ago, um, not even um, eight or nine years ago. And from that standpoint, and again, hitting not a low point, because again, my mindset, my approach was, well, the path and the journey and the failures are happening for a reason. And mm. I'll work through it and doing a lot of work and growth and working with my current partner on um, a new relationship and new growth and a new version of myself. Um, it has become more important for me to take this on in a different way versus the old must do things a certain way, must achieve goals, must achieve outcomes, and not living in the now exactly like we just said. Mm. So, so what are what have been like your most profound lessons? Like living in the now would be like a big, big, big lesson here. But yeah, yeah. share with us a, a few others. So accepting, accepting what accepting. I was saying—the how and when—versus um, having two to set of a path and focus to stay on the path and accepting mm -hmm. this story, this version of ourselves will happen. It will just happen. And no, you can't just sit back and lay in bed all day and say it will happen. But if you do your best every day, it will unfold in itself. And I was also very lucky in that I gradually turned my coaching and my work into the expression of what I believe is who I truly am. And that is someone to help motivate and help bring this athletic lifestyle and the fitness and endurance lifestyle to as many people as I can. Because again, I believe that it's part of who we are. And when the best athlete version of yourself comes out, I believe it's it, it seeps into other aspects of our lives. And then at work, or with family, um, it also comes forward because you're practicing the best version of yourself every day in a small component, the athlete version of you, a little bit, and you're doing your best in a controlled environment of that piece every day. And so you start seeing, huh, I also see that in my professional life. I also see that in my personal life. And so those are a lot of the things that I just started working more into accepting that this is who mm. this is the direction I want to take and helping people bring out the best possible athlete version of themselves. Mm, yeah. And I especially like the part about like not trying to force it because I think that um, I always like to say that um, your authentic desires will manifest your reality. Yeah. Like for instance, like um, I was like, skinny growing up and um was a bit chubby like in my 12 like or 13 14 years old like in, in my teenage years and um i wanted like so so badly to be like jacked and mm -hmm. have muscles and yeah but I, I, <laughs> I, i it had exactly you and if it wasn't part of you in the past it wouldn't be part of who you are today and that's mm -hmm. part of our path All of our history, everything, and whether it's fighting addictions or it's other um, things in our lives that have created turmoil, 
they're all part of our story. And once we realize that that story is just a story and we're moving beyond it and we have the ability to be the authors of our own lives and write a new story and continue to create a story but not hang on to the old story that it's all part of the growth that we're going towards, that's the that's when things really start changing. Once you realized, for example, that you said, okay, that was my past, but I now have the ability to change that, to write, mm. to be in control of what I want to see. Um, change the operating system, right? You have the ability every day to write new code of your operating system. I love this. So yeah, and and this coming, uh, this comes back to this whole like it's not about if, it's about like when and how, right? <laughs> you can. The thing too, so many people say to me, "Well, I want to run a marathon, or I want to do an Ironman." I, I always say, "You will. You can. It's just a question of how and when." <laughs> Yeah. So um, could you please like share with us the story behind like how you personally made the transition from like being an, a, a pro athlete to becoming a coach? So we haven't touched upon that yet. So. Yeah. Well, um, a lot of athletes or not, excuse me, a lot of friends asked me to help them because they saw what I was doing and how I was training was working for them was working and they wanted it to work for them. And so about uh 20 years ago, uh, yeah, 21 years ago, a few friends asked me, will you help us for our Ironman? And so those four friends turned into five, into seven, <laughs> and eventually I had to quit my day job with um, working in finance, and because I was coaching 30 to 35 people. On when, when, what year was it? This was in 2005, I mm. switched to coaching full-time. Before that, I was doing it on the side in 1999 um, is when those athletes asked me to help them, those four, and it grew from there. And it's been my full-time profession and passion, truly my passion, ever since 2005. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see it as work. I see it as what I love to do every day in helping people achieve their best athletic outcomes. Mm -hmm. how, 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 how did your approach like change over the years? I was a lot more rigid and, uh, you know, focused on performance outcomes and goals in the past, right? Mm. I, my old athlete self of swimming and what worked for me, and I was very rigid in that approach. And over the years, A, I've learned a lot more empathy and understanding, and that took my own failures, but also took learning a lot more about others versus just what works for me and seeing in many different ways on what works for others. There's so many different approaches and I had to continuously use those and apply them to athletes and going through a variety of different approaches for myself too, with training and testing it and different types of personalities. So over those 20 years, having worked with all kinds of different people from military to executives, to beginners, to getting off the couch, to um, college athletes, to professional athletes, everyone requires a little bit something different. And so mm. many years to grow from one way to many ways of achieving outcomes. Got it. So uh, your, your approach to goals, like this was like one of the big changes you've yeah. made. 
for sure, um, where it wasn't so black and white and more working back to the how and when. That was a lot of learning as well as understanding that athletes, once they're masters athletes, as we call them, that they went pro in something other than the sport mm. that they're doing, um, understanding that this is their hobby. This is what they're doing by choice. And I had to be very delicate and understand that more like where you say, well, I only have 30 minutes a day. I only have 60 minutes a day. And in my past self, I would have pushed harder and said, well, then that's not possible. But now it's mm. more about, all right, well, let's figure out how to work with that. Let's still allow you to achieve your endurance outcomes despite only having a little bit of time, despite having a busy professional career, despite having a family, despite being involved in your community or in your church or in soccer practice or whatever it is or as a soccer coach. Um, and let's still allow you to still have that athlete expression of yourself despite. Mm. And so that became the, the puzzle to figure out. How do I allow people and athletes and clients to still achieve their endurance outcomes despite having a busy life and and did your did your approach to diet and um exercise uh change at all always it's always changing mm. it's always growing i it, it can never stay the same because one the athlete will never stay the same who you were mm. my client two years ago is not going to be who you are today. So that always has to change. And the plan has to change and the diet and the nutrition approach. Um, I call it nutrition, not diet. Um, nutrition approach has to change and grow because again, your body is changing. Your needs are changing. Your stress and load every year, every month, every week is changing. So it's constantly a living organism of how to make this work. Mm. So um, because we have talked about like your personal life story in the last hour, and um, I think that everybody is waiting for um, your, your diet and exercise framework, so yeah. to speak. So uh, <laughs> please sh share it with our listeners. Like what well, are the, the big building blocks? What are the principles? Yeah. Um, what are the actual steps? So. I'm a big believer in a low intensity training, right? So that you can come back and do it day after day after day without mm -hmm. being exhausted and broken down. Now, it might not mean seven days a week, but that when you finish training one day, that the next day you wake up after a night's sleep and feel, wow, that didn't leave me as exhausted and tired and sore and achy as I thought. I can go and run again today, or I can mm -hmm. go and bike again today, or I can go and swim or do strength. So for me, it's a low intensity um, aerobic training so that you can repeat via volume, not via intensity. So um, I'd rather you train many days a week, shorter, but steadier and lower heart rate work versus just a few days a week with a mm -hmm. lot of high intensity. Because eventually, again, in my opinion, that runs out. You can only sustain totally intensity for so long. So now, of course, there's a mix for everybody, right? We do some strength and we do some high intensity. But for me, predominantly, most of the time is spent in the aerobic training zone. Mm. You know? And then from a nutrition standpoint, that becomes tricky because everybody is so different. Their needs 
their daily um, stress and load and what their the culture that they're in and their timing of when they work and when they are home. And it depends on so many different things. But of course, I'm a big believer in eating healthy and sustaining yourself and more plants than meats. Um, mm. I do believe in meat, but you know, if you're getting, we all in the United States, especially eat so much meat. And if we can do more greens and vegetables. In Germany too, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a question of, do I think it should be gone? No, absolutely not. Do I think we can live with smaller plates of meat every day? Mm. Yes. So, um, you know, things that are environmentally friendly, as well as sustainable, as well as um, help us with our performance outcomes. That's the ideal version of nutrition, in my opinion. Mm. So basically low intensity and, and um, a plant-based diet, basically. So um, well, a, a plant heavy, plant heavy. Plant heavy. Okay, yeah. got it, got it, got Definitely it. Definitely eat meat and um, there's days where I eat too much meat too. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah. um, there's um, plant heavy is probably. Plant, plant heavy, let's, let's yeah. Yeah, frame it that way. <laughs> I, I, I'll take a salad and vegetables with a little bit of meat the way my better half makes it any day. Mm, and um, yeah, and I especially like the low intensity part because I think that um, also like for lifting weights or, or certain exercises, people like at the start when they're like really, really motivated, they go like super, super hard at it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's like it impossible to. Yeah. 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 We build a very, very gradual. I believe in building a very gradual foundation. Mm -hmm. It's very mm -hmm. frustrating for many new athletes. But if they make it through those first six to eight weeks, they notice that their body starts changing, their body composition starts changing, they get leaner. They might not lose a lot of weight, but they get leaner. Everything is fitting differently not because of size, but because their muscles are getting longer and their body's changing based off of the aerobic training that they need. And they notice that they recover quicker because they're getting fitter and that they can go longer with less energy. They're not as exhausted. And I also think it's a way better way to to um, develop habits because, like for instance, if you are like thinking the first the first thought in the morning is, "Oh man, I have to run again today," so yeah, you can't really sustain your workout routine with with exactly. this mindset. Exactly, and you want to be able to do it repeatedly, so you don't want to be achy and sore, and you mm. want to. And the challenge too is if we start too strong, um, we don't get that immediate feedback of it feeling so good because when you finish a workout, you always are happy you did it. So mm. the important thing is how do you get out of bed or how do you start to get when you come home from work, you're tired, how do you then turn around and get out the door? And when you wanna focus on how you will feel after the workout. It's you don't want to be exhausted or broken down or achy as well. So repeated activity volume instead of quality is the, in my opinion, the way to build a great um, endurance engine. Mm. So before we talk about the exercise part, um, I think everybody would love to hear like, what are your favorite like fat sources and carbohydrate sources? Like, um, Yeah, could you please speak to that? 
Well, for um, we we do a lot of cooking with um, all the oils and so forth with um, a ghee and so forth. Mm. Um, but for fat sources, I don't really overthink those things. I mean, eating a clean, healthy diet will allow you to get a lot of the sources that you typically would need. But again, it gets very um, individual there with what the body needs and with mm. what kind of training you're doing. So one person might be getting ready for a shorter event and might have different needs than somebody who's getting ready for a 30-hour or 40-hour event. So it becomes very individual. And that's the challenge with a lot of nutrition um, needs is that everybody is so unique and has different stories and histories and outcomes and events that they're preparing for and different routines that to say how one person um, makes it work successfully, sustainably, in a healthy manner is not going to work for the next person. And that's why it's so mm. hard to work in the, um, in the nutrition and the diet space is because what works for one person usually will not work for many people. Mm, and I think, yeah, everybody's it's always, story is a little different and everybody's hours are a little bit different and everybody's training is a little bit different and everybody's mm, stress is a little bit different and everybody's body is a little bit different. What they grew up eating, what their body got used to eating, what they need to unpack with them, what they have been eating with meaning bad foods and maybe they have to focus on different areas. Um, there's so much in the nutrition component. And so me personally, um, mm. hearing a certain way that worked for other people and then so many people taking on the next fad mm. or diet is hard for me to hear because you know that it won't work long term if they don't understand what they individually need and what's healthy for them and what stage in life they are in their 20s and 30s or in their 50s or 70s. Everybody's so different. Mm, yeah and i think this is like one of the biggest like fallacies in the fitness industry because yeah. like people are selling like this cookie cutter diet approach just like hey buy this meal plan like but, man yeah. you you don't even know this person and <laughs> well, yes, you don't yeah. see the hours that they go through or the blood tests that they're being getting in order to validate that the food that they're eating is working for them um and again Everybody has a different story and a different background and a different need and a different daily routine so that the nutrition, the fueling, they need to be their best athlete version or the best overall version. Mm. And those components, those puzzle pieces fit only that person. Mm. Maybe that person only needs six hours of sleep a night, which I don't believe, but they are only getting that. So their diet and their metabolism is going to work differently than somebody who's getting nine hours of sleep a night, doing exactly the same thing during the day. But the body works differently and everybody is limited, uh, very unique in how they um, process food, uh, absorb food. So many people have a nutrition plan or have a nutrition idea. And then they don't realize that their body's not even absorbing the healthy foods that they're eating. They might have other issues, gut issues. They might have, mm. um, so if they, they might have the cleanest diet, but if their body is not absorbing it, doesn't matter. <laughs> mm, yeah. So, so you having said that, um, could you please also speak about like your typical routine? Like how does your day look like today? So, or, or yeah, typically, yeah. so. 
I typically get up pretty early around 5.30, 5.45 in the morning and have a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that is very much part of my routine because I love a good cup of coffee. So I spend a lot of time with that. And then I'll try to, usually if it's not a day where I'm working on client plans, which is usually Mondays, um, I'll try to spend some time journaling um, mm. and what I call written meditation. And then from there, I'll work on emails and clients and communications and some co consulting with athletes, as well as checking in with many of them or, um, you know, spending a morning of just knowing that everybody's doing okay or answering their questions. And usually midday, I'll, I'll train, um, either mm. bike or run or do some strength work. Um, and then in the afternoon, um, one of the four kids is always requiring something. <laughs> we are, um, my better half and I are always out and about doing something to take care of the family. That's usually in the afternoon and some dogs and then off to bed we go. And that's, that's sort of the daily routine when we're not traveling, when we're not going to conferences or events. So, um, so it's, it's always around that basic structure. Mm, and food-wise? Food-wise, in the morning, it's mid-morning. I probably sustain myself on coffee probably until 8.30 or 9. So the first two, three hours, um, really nothing. Um, and then I'll fuel and feed myself for the workout coming at 10 or 11 o'clock. Um, what, what are you eating typically? Like a smoothie or like? Um, no, I'll have some yogurt and granola and, um, and mm. some fruit. I'll have some toast with avocado or tomatoes or even um, jam and butter. Um, all that is pretty easy for me. At lunch, I'll have, you know, some greens and some uh, a sandwich or some um, depends on what it is, what we're having for dinner. And then at dinner, it's usually always a salad and some vegetables and a little bit of meat, um, mm. revolves around that and some fish and things like that. But the meals are, um, pretty standard every day that by, my body recognizes exactly what I eat every day, pretty significantly. Mm. So I think there are a lot of coaches that are saying that, oh, you don't need to worry about like post-workout nutrition. And there are like other coaches who are saying that, oh, man, like uh, post-workout nutrition is the most important thing in the world. So yeah. um, what is your opinion on, on post-workout nutrition, having well, protein shakes after running, swimming, uh, lifting yeah. weights, what have you? That's a good question because um, – in endurance lifestyle, um, we're doing very little to break the muscle down catabolically. So therefore, we don't need as much protein shakes when you're doing strength mm. workouts. You know, you are breaking down the muscles in a different way. Um, and so there, a little bit more protein focused it does work better. Um, but yes, absolutely, post-training, if you're training, if you're exercising, Who knows what you need because some days you do it, some days you don't um, exercise. And so a lot of people overeat post-exercising, um, yeah. thinking, well, I just did a great workout, therefore I can have this huge protein smoothie with a thousand calories. Especially overweight people, they're like overestimating like terribly yeah. like how much they should well, eat. Yeah. It's hard because we're all given that confusion. So mm, yeah. Uh, If you're training because you have a routine and you have intention around your workouts and you know what the next day will bring and you're planning on many days in a row, 
you do want to replenish your carbohydrate stores and some protein stores after the workout. Now, it doesn't mean as soon as you finish, you have a big meal and then you also have lunch and then you also <laughs> now you just added another meal. So it becomes difficult to figure out what your daily needs are depending on your training. If you're doing a 45 minute run, no, you don't need a huge meal. But if you just did a two hour run, you might want to sustain yourself differently or else in the afternoon, you'll be low blood sugar and you'll be fatigued mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, what I always say with post-workout um, fueling is what am I doing now with this post-workout fueling to prepare myself for the next workout? Mm. Am I replenishing my muscles and my energy systems to have the best possible next workout? Good. Um, am I just eating to satisfy hunger, to satisfy um, desires? That's not prepping for the next best possible workout. And so um, a lot of times also we forget to fuel during our exercise, during our training. And so mm. if we get that, of course, we're going to be very hungry after the workout and we'll tend to overeat. But if we're doing endurance training, that's, you know, 90 to two to three hours, we're we're fueling during the training. And so when we finish, we're not ravenous trying to eat everything in the kitchen. Um, we'll just have a little bit of uh, some fruit or a sandwich or a smoothie because we want some carbohydrates for sure. Um, and then prepare ourselves for the next best possible workout. Mm. So uh, before we talk about internal workout uh, nutrition, I think um, everybody would love to hear like what are the typical foods that you are recommending like post-workout? And of course, this is like really context yeah. dependent and yeah. Yeah, well, like I was just hinting towards, I do believe carbohydrates are quite important because that's basically what we're burning during endurance training. Mm. And so we want to, what I always liken it to is a bathtub. We want to keep the bathtub nice and balanced. We don't want it going too empty. So it can't work mm. on, the body can't work on the adaptations we need. And we don't want it overflowing so that we mm. feel full and uncomfortable and we ate too much. We want to keep things in balance. We don't want to keep it from draining too far. So Carbohydrates are important because you just used a lot of carbohydrates in order to get through your endurance workout, even if it was just 45 minutes. But again, not a lot. It depends. The beauty today is that all of us have watches that show pace, but they also show our caloric burn rate. And if mm -hmm. you look at that, you can see, oh, that run only burned 600 calories. Well, therefore, no, I'm not going to eat 600 calories. <laughs> I can eat 50% of that post the workout, 300 calories, and that will make me feel good and satiated until my next real meal, which is lunch, dinner, or breakfast. Um, so a lot of times in the morning, you can train on an empty stomach because you still have your stores from the night, and then you have a healthy breakfast. Um, if you're training at lunch, you have something immediately post a little bit, and then you have a healthy lunch. Um, mm. Eventually, you get to a point that you time your training as well, um, and your post-workout snacks, because they turn to snacks, because your main meals are healthy, sustainable, long-lasting, good food that doesn't just burn right through you. Because if you eat bad quality food, you know, an hour later, you're hungry again. Mm. 
I, I I really love your example with the bathtub because um like for instance like when I'm having like a heavy lunch and I'm I'm going to work uh like an hour later I'm like uh, <laughs> yeah I'm getting nothing done so yeah, yeah. Your overflowed and your your mm. time flow whereas if you keep it at at a certain level um, yeah too empty never too full your body can work on other things which is the adaptation of the training the recovery um, prepping for the next workout internally mm. so so um like what 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 people uh what should people eat like should they eat like granola bars or like do you have like favorite carbohydrate sources um post-workout well, Yeah, again, that's so difficult to give people advice for because, mm. again, there's a lot of granola bars that have a lot of sugar in them. And so mm. the value of them or it's processed granola so that it's already been stripped of a lot of its nutrients. And, you know, you know, there's good bread and then there's bad bread. There's good butter and then there's low quality butter. So it, yeah. you can go through all these. But again, if it's good, healthy food. Um, you can't go wrong with regards to um, well uh, a bread, for example. You know, there's processed bread that you get at the supermarket that you can just see it's not very good. Um, mm. with bread, bread baked at your local baker with all kinds of um, whole grains in it, and kernels and um, all kinds of flax seeds and so on. That might be great with some sprouts and some turkey on a on a sandwich, right? So you get a little bit of protein, you get a little bit of carbohydrates, you get some antioxidants and greens going, and you have that, and that's a that's a solid snack. Mm. So it depends. It depends. Some people are gluten intolerant. Some people are yeah. dairy intolerant or might not be at the end of a workout the best time to add gluten. They might not be gluten intolerant, but just post-training or pre-training, gluten doesn't work for them. So they need to create a gap. So All this is based off of observing how your body responds to training, how you feel from training, how you feel after, and you get better and better recognizing this because you're practicing it every day of, how did I feel today? What did I notice in my training? Am I growing? Am I getting, am I adapting to the training load that, like last week? Um, do I notice that at the same effort versus last week, I'm getting further or I'm running a little bit quicker? or I'm sleeping better, or I'm recovering, or I'm in, I'm in a better mood. All those are little things to show that you're progressing as an athlete, that you're absorbing the training, that you're absorbing the work that you're doing because you're feeling better. So many train, so many athletes are out there that think if they're broken down, beat up, and exhausted, that that's training, whereas training should leave you um, invigorated, energetic, positive, flowing. Mm. And if it's beyond that, then you're probably not adapting to it. You're just pushing your body into a hole. Got it. So um, are there like like uh, guidelines that you're recommending for, for people like um, when they what kind of size um, of, of uh, like pre-workout meals or inter, intra-workout like carbohydrate intakes they should take? Like, for instance, should they take like 30 or 50 grams per hour or? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I work on calories usually, um, so mm. because it gets confusing, especially in, in the United States with grams, people people don't like <laughs> <laughs> Got it. that metric. But um, I work with calories mainly, and there I say, you know, if you're 
um, doing any training longer than an hour, starting after an hour, you need to start fueling because you've already worked off the storage in your body after an hour, whether that's cycling, running, or swimming. And so there you want to start with about 200 calories per hour after the first hour. And then again, observe from that on how that's working. Does that leave mm. you strong and energized or does that leave you hungry? Well, then you might need to up it to 250 calories an hour, um, depending on how many hours you're training. Most of my athletes train anywhere from three, four, five, six hours on a Saturday or Sunday and 90 minutes to two hours on, on during the week, whether that's in the morning, in the evening. But so for the shorter stuff, they usually come in um, not having just eaten, but eating that they can do the next workout effectively. And then, yeah, they use the 200 calorie approach per hour to just get in a sense of what they need. And then you grow from there. Well, actually, I've noticed I need 250 calories an hour or I need less. Mm. I need only 175. Um, that's what we do a lot of work around, understanding how to fuel your body during endurance training because the one thing that everybody in the endurance world knows you only the fittest person never wins an endurance event it's the one who can manage themselves the longest through the event and keep mm. themselves from slowing down that wins um, so can you hold a certain pace long enough and the only way you can is by hydrating and fueling properly so that you can display the fitness that you've built up. Mm. And, and what are the, the worst mistakes that people are typically making when it comes down to intra-workout nutrition? Well, they won't eat. One, they think mm. they eat fuel. Um, so they think, oh, this is just me getting tired. Um, this is just my fitness running out. Mm. So that's why I'm slowing down. And I would say that is the number one thing that I see in endurance athletes, that they slow down because they think it's fitness, but they're actually slowing down because they're running out of fuel or running out of fluids, right? Drinking water or some electrolytes for going even longer. Um, and so again, the engine is stuck, not working. So um, they might have a great engine. They've built a great car engine, but if you run out of fuel, that it doesn't matter. You're not you're not going to make it to the finish line. And mm. if you run out of oil, which is fluids, again, the engine will seize up and stop as well. So those two are the main things I see that they don't do enough of it. Got it. So do you think also that there's a time and place for, for refeeds? Because I think um, a lot of like coaches also are like speaking about refeeds, refeeding before a certain event. Or do you think that refeeds aren't necessary? So, um, yeah. What, what do you mean by that? I'm, I'm, um, I'm like uh, loading carbohydrates at a oh, certain gotcha. day. Yes, um, that has sort of gone away. More and more studies have shown over the last 15 to 20 years that um, um, uh, carbo loading is yeah, exactly. that your body can't really absorb too much more than what you already eat in your day to day. 
Um, your cells can take on more hydration, but again, not dramatically more, and they can store that. But your body isn't really in the business of storing that much food, um, so you can't carbo load. Carbohydrates are hard to store. That's why we have fats, right? And, um, mm. and those take a long time to build up, but they're also there for an endless energy supply. We all, as human beings, have about a thousand hours of exercise on our body in the form of fat as fuel. It's just that we can't tap into it. We'd have to go that slow, and even then, we can't tap into those fats. So we do need to have some carbohydrates while we're exercising, and so, but we're also not in the business of storing carbohydrates for future burn usage. Mm. So there's like a, a big trend in the internet, like um, so, so many people are proponents of low carbohydrate diets yeah. and um, yeah, there's like a huge trend towards it. But um, I think it's like uh, when you're like really exercising hard, I, I don't really buy into this whole like low carbohydrate thing. But um, yeah, could you please speak well, to that? Well, first of all, it's very hard to do because it, carbohydrates are in all foods, basically. So mm, it's hard yeah. to um, it really bring the low-carb, high-fat up. The other thing is, you know, we can change our energy system of how we're burning fuel in our body by training. We don't have to fuel it in a certain way. So by doing aerobic training, which aerobic in general means fat-burning exercise, um, We're already teaching our body to want to burn more fats. So do we need to force that and teach our body by just eating that way? It's not really the way to go about it. You want to teach mm. the engine to want that type of fueling and then just feed it as it needs it. So by trying to force your body to burn more fat without doing the training with it to burn more fat, it's not going to be sustainable long term. Um, mm. absolutely good training and the proper training will teach your burning body to burn more fat and then you will need more fat but carbohydrates are such a key component to everything that we do every part of our physiological process requires so much from a carbohydrate standpoint even from athletic activity it's so much more efficient burning fuel than fat Fat is a very slow process in our body. It takes a mm. while for it to go through the chain and burn properly. Yes, it's long lasting, but it's hard to maintain that inefficient burning format. So, so Chris, have you been working with like um, like vegan athletes or carnivore diet athletes, like like only meat based athletes? All of them, all of them, all of them, up with paleo to plant based only to vegan and so forth, all across the board. And it's never really a concern because once we get to training and we know our bodies and we're seeing how we're adapting to the training and we're seeing what's necessary for that athlete to grow as an athlete and to become fitter, um, we work around what their beliefs are with food. Now, some eventually come to recognize ah, I might need a little bit of this or I'm getting injured because of that or I'm not becoming the athlete I want to be because I'm missing this and whether that's mm -hmm. blood tests or just general observations or breaking down or not adapting to the training so some do change but many again this isn't their profession it's their hobby and so if mm -hmm. you believe in being 
paleo or only a, a carnivore or only plant-based it's fine because you went pro in something other and this is a hobby and you're not looking to win we'll make it work so that you can be successful and again that's the current version of who you are i'm not going to tell you what that needs to be if that's what you believe but then if you do wonder why the outcomes are not happening or you're getting sick frequently or you're not able to absorb the training the way you think you should be and you're taking good care of yourself mm. then we might want to look at your fueling there's always different ways that people come to their conclusion on what their body needs best and that's partially the fun of coaching with mm. each individual person <laughs> learning about them helping them grow and more importantly, helping them see themselves and understand themselves better so that they can continue on their journey of health and fitness for many years to come. Mm. Um, and I, I also think that there's like a huge trend that people like to, to speak about, like cheat days and having cheat days yeah. and yeah, celebrating like, a, like an insane amount of calories in a certain yeah. day. So what is your take yeah. on that? That, that definitely happens. And don't get me wrong, I've been um, <laughs> a proponent at times as well. Um, again, I've been through all this myself. Um, but again, also there, I've been learned. I've been learned, which means I've been taught. Um, mm. Might not be the best thing. Um, but again, if it's successful for you, if it allows you to achieve your endurance outcomes, your desired outcomes, and it helps you stay motivated, connected, disciplined, committed to where you're going, so we can work around. What I've found is that athletes that use cheat days as part of their strategy, over time and working with me, those cheat days get smaller and smaller. <laughs> They have an overall balanced approach. Um, but in the beginning, if that's what helps you get through, so like I did, I'm rewarding myself for doing training six days in a row and it's always really good and I feel really good today. I'm taking a day off and I'm not going to overthink this. Absolutely. And what you said was key there, celebrating. I do think it's important we celebrate our achievements every week, every day, every month and understand like. What we're doing is a choice. And because mm. it's a choice, we need to remember to celebrate that we're making good choices. If we don't celebrate ourselves, we don't realize how good the choices are we're making. And it becomes less motivating once again. So Yeah, great uh, point also. Yeah, so not, not, not necessarily cheat days, but celebrating ourselves off days, not paying as close attention because it's not really that necessary that day or just relaxing. Like I'm going to take 10 days of training how I want to train because the last two months have been very intense, but I'm still going to do something, but I'm going to celebrate just that it's I'm going to take 10 days to just mm. do I'll wake up in the morning. I say, you know what? It's beautiful outside. I'd like to go for a run. Not what my training plan says, but what I'd like to go for a run. That's great. I love that when athletes come to that growth themselves, because now we're working, you're listening and you're going by feel and you're adjusting your body and you're having an experience that's positive for you based off of the choices you made. 
Mm. So um, we haven't we 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 talked about so much about diet. Like um, I think that everybody would also love to hear like your take on training. So are you a big believer like in, for instance, like um, um, period uh, periodization yeah. and um, speed work? And could yeah. you please speak to those things? Yeah, I'm a big believer in all those things. But first, we need to create a foundation and a platform of fitness. And a lot of that comes from aerobic zone two work. But then um, zone two is what's known as aerobic um, base work. Um, it's a low heart rate platform to work off of. But then once the body, like a sponge, has absorbed everything it can at the lower heart rate numbers, um, and we can test that and see that via field tests and in your own performance, then we definitely want to include some strength and some speed work and some other components, some tempo work, mm -hmm. so that the body continues to progress. And it's not going to be over a few weeks. It's going to be over months. And mm -hmm. we combine it all. So um, I would say my approach is 80% of that aerobic work 10% of tempo, sort of comfortably fast work, and then 10% of the time you're going very fast, high intensity, best effort, um, dig deep, VO2 max work, as they call it. Mm. So, and then as we see that the aerobic function is being limited because we need to do some other work, I dial that back to let's say 70% of the time and then 15% of the time tempo, um, feel good speed work, and then 15% of the time, high intensity, short bursts of very explosive power. Um, but what we see is that um, most of the time, athletes on aerobic training, they'll go to the track or they'll have a measured piece of road and they'll do it at a certain heart rate and at a low heart rate. And at first it'll be painstakingly slow. They'll run very slow and almost have to walk and then it's a few weeks later, wow, I was able to run the whole thing. Wow, my pace has gotten a minute faster at the same heart rate. And then another month later, wow, another minute faster at the same heart rate. And it continues to progress like that until it does. And then when it mm. does, it's time to add speed work. It's time to add the higher intensity work. Um, combine that with always doing some strength work with always doing some core and chassis integrity work um, around the midsection. And yeah, and then from there, we go into it very individually where who needs what at what way, in what way. Mm. So so um, could you please give us like a few examples, like how would this look like in practice? Like yeah. having talked about the 80-10-10 uh, split, so yeah. Yeah, so if let's say you're training 10 hours per week, right? Um, which is about 60 minutes to 75 minutes a day during the week, and then maybe two hours a day on Saturday and Sunday. Bingo, that's 10 hours. Mm. So 80% of that, eight of those hours are a low heart rate, annoyingly slow, but steady um, training, whether that's swimming, biking, or running. And then two of those hours in 30 minute or 45 minute or five minute increments in workouts during the week, you're adding that component to it. So for example, uh, Monday might be an easy 90 minute bicycle ride. On Tuesday might be 45 minute easy run. But then on Wednesday, we might say, okay, in that 45 minute bike ride that you're gonna do, add six times 90 seconds at 
best effort, high, high intensity, high, high cadence as in turnover um, mm. within your easy ride so that you can recover and have the best possible 90 seconds for the next one. Then on Thursday, we might say, okay, we're going to do strength work. And because strength work breaks us down differently, very similar to speed work, we'll just do an easy run after the strength work of 20 minutes to mm. engage the muscles that have just gotten fatigued, that were just being used. Now we want to do the activity that we're getting you ready for. If you're nice and fatigued from the strength work, going out and running and feeling all those muscles fatigued and how they're moving in the chain from the foot all the way to the shoulders and see how it's all connected. Then you go, oh, okay, now I understand why I'm doing the strength work that I'm doing because I feel it. I feel how it's fatigued and engaging. Mm. And let's say on Friday, we'll do some uh, speed work in a different sport that we that we're getting ready for because during the week when people are working and have families, there's limited time. So we would make that limited time, maybe more speed stuff. And then on the weekends, when you have more time, the two hours, the three hours on a Saturday and the two hours on a Sunday, that's all um, lower intensity work because you have time to go out, enjoy the countryside, enjoy a beautiful run and so forth. Mm. So, 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 so basically, um, you you aren't a big believer in people like going all out all the time like we've yeah. we, we've talked about like it's really about low intensity making sure um you have a good time like 80 percent of the time like yeah. um being at a like the forever pace for instance so yeah yeah the, the yeah. challenge is is that most athletes go too hard on easy days and too easy mm. on hard days and they're always stuck in that gray zone and so for the first six eight weeks They'll feel really good. They're going to improve and things are going to go well and they'll feel fit. But then after about six to eight weeks, because they're no, there's no specificity in their training, there's no highs and lows, there's no easy days and hard days and differentiation, they will fizzle out. And not that they will not want to train or not, uh, they'll lose their speed. They just won't get any faster. They won't see mm. it because they're stuck in that gray zone. And if you're stuck in that gray zone, you won't be training very long because you'll get frustrated because you don't have any uh, progression. And then you're always just doing the same thing. And so many have that discipline to continue on. Despite never improving, they still continue to train, which is pretty hard to do and pretty respectable to do because if they just had some specificity and some focus and intention in their training, they would actually do really well. So there's so many athletes out there that have the ability to be quite successful athletes in their in the way that they like to express themselves as athletes, but they never get a chance to because they're not training properly. Mm. So, uh, Chris, the last topic um, topic I would love to talk about today is mindset. We have covered a bit of um, your opinion on mindset but like give us the principles like um yeah what is the framework so to speak so yeah. the main framework is around not judging yourself and seeing how every little step is a step towards a better athlete version of you and too often times we don't we overlook that component even the thought process of being disappointed in our training or in our mm -hmm. outcome or in our result makes you an athlete because you're evaluating it, your progress day over day. So 
framing all that around a positive growth mindset moving forward and understanding even you judging yourself and thinking of yourself like that should be seen in a positive light because you are looking, you have the desire that we talked about earlier to improve. So if we look at it from that starting point, it becomes way easier to have the right mindset for this. From a long-term approach standpoint, from training versus exercising, mm. that's the big thing. If you want to train, there's many days you might have to do things you don't enjoy doing because it's training. If you're just looking to feel great and have fun, that's exercising, right? Mm. You are on a prescription. You have a specific intentional outcome that you're looking to get to through the workout, through the stimulus, and it needs to be done. It might not be fun, but that's why it's called training. <laughs> that's why. So from that, that's the athlete's mindset right there. Intention, purpose, clarity on where they're going and oftentimes that means doing things that they don't want to do but mm. from there it perpetuates itself it grows upon itself because the results will start coming quicker as well as you will be able to analyze your own psychology differently because you see that you're you're moving towards something in its own on your own path and successfully in, in most cases if you have the athlete's mindset Got it. So um, I think there are also that there's also like two schools of thought um, when it comes down to comparison. There's like one school of thought that says like, oh, you should always look out for your competition and you should always focus on your competition. Yeah. And there's another school of thought that says like, oh, man, you should never worry about your competition. Always focus on yourself. Always do what you can do best. So, um, yeah, well, what is it? You never know what your competition is doing, what they're thinking how they're eating, how they're sleeping, how they're training, what their stresses are in their life, mm -hmm. what their week leads up to. So think, focusing on that and thinking about what they're doing just took energy away of what you can be doing. And mm -hmm. absolutely, if you focus too much on your competition, now being aware of what they're doing, being aware of what your competition is doing helps. It helps for you to refocus back to your own intentions, to your own clarity, to your own purpose, to your own athlete's mindset to make sure that you're preparing and you're caring for your body and you're recovering properly to adapt and grow and become a better athlete every day. Again, it's like we said earlier, you can only do what you're the best version of you. You can't do more than that. If you're doing that every day, It doesn't matter what if there's competition at all, because you can't do more than what you're doing. It's impossible. Yeah. How will you do better than that? So, <laughs> so then it becomes demotivating, negative. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, I can't do what they're doing because I'm doing my best. Mm -hmm. But what I enjoy most with athletes is when they accept that they're doing their best for who they are in the now with their current lifestyle, then they realize, you know what? That's fine. That person is in a different phase of their life or they're um, younger or they have more experience. I don't need to compare myself to them. Mm -hmm. I only compare myself to this version of me. The one that has, let's say, I say this to a lot of athletes. Well, what other person are you comparing yourself to that has your job, 
has your three, your, <laughs> your genetics, yeah, right. All those things has your three kids, has your <laughs> like the, 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 it's impossible. There is no other person in the world that has exactly your situation. So mm-hmm. you're a champion. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love this because I think that in in this society it's so encouraged to always be at. You should always compare yourself and yeah. always you should always check what the Jonases are doing. And I think yeah. it's like a terrible mindset and a bad habit to get into. So it is. It's a difficult place to be because you're always judging yourself and um, you can never keep up because there's always a better Instagram version of yourself out there. Mm, yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's just a bad, a bad habit. Totally yeah. agreed. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, athletes that say to me, you know, guess what? I'm the best dad of four kids with a job in construction <laughs> over 40, and I have bad back and bad ankles. I was like, that's perfect. That's great because there is no other person in exactly that situation. So if you're doing the best you can and you're training and you're focused on growth, that's all you can look for. Mm, I love this, Chris. So um, let's wrap it up. So um, at the end, I always ask every guest of mine five very quick and short questions. Um, but I, before I ask those five questions, like let's give our listeners like last time some something actionable here. So, yeah. Um, what would you tell them? Like, what would be your your parting words, so to speak, here at the end? Like on on training, diet, mindset, life, lifestyle. Like, like what would you tell everybody who's listening to this now? I always say a little something every day, whether that's mm-hmm. in self-care, in self-growth, in diet and nutrition improvements, do a little something every day. It ties into mm-hmm. what all of us have heard with a little better today than you were yesterday. But that also ties into too much, uh, not too much, it ties into growth. But when you're looking at fitness, if you can get in a little something every day, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. 30 minutes, it all layers upon layer. And once you do that for 10 days in a row, even 20 minutes, then it's easier to continue to grow upon that. And that's the beauty of endurance training, layer upon layer upon layer, a little something every day. And when you get that habit, it's great. So uh, could you please tell everybody where can they connect with you, work with you and so on and so forth? Yeah, I'm at aimpcoaching.com, A-I-M-P coaching.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at aimpcoach. And um, yeah, you can always check in with me and send me an email. I'm big on email with chris at aimpcoaching.com. But yeah, and then I have my own podcast with the Weekly Word podcast. And I'm on a lot of other um, athletes and coaches podcasts. With, um, with regards to coaching and the approach and mindset and, you know, having all kinds of different athletes from this week alone, from uh, an athlete leaving for Everest, another athlete getting ready for Nice and the 70.3 Half Ironman World Championships, to Swim Run World Championships, to a 3,000-kilometer bike ride, to a 100-mile run. It's <laughs> everywhere. And that's the fun. It's never um, just one athlete. It's all of us getting the best athlete version of ourselves out there. Got it. So, uh, Chris, the first out of the five question is, what are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? 
Yeah, that one of them is easy. It's called Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Mm. Right? I'm, I'm a big believer in stoicism, and you probably have heard a lot of that come through and how yeah. I work. Um, I also like the book, The Four Agreements. Um, mm. Very popular book also. Yeah, very popular book. And then um, I will say I'm reading a book that I've read two or three times already, and it's called Running and Being by Sheehan, H S. S-H-E-E-H-A-N. And it came out in the 70s, but the mindset and the approach to health and fitness is fantastic. And it really ties everything together that I believe in with a healthy mindset and lifestyle. Got it. So uh, the second question is, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? <laughs> That's actually sort of great. Um, I like this, the, you know, the, the really stupid comedies that are out there, of course, like The Big Lebowski. And yeah, yeah, great film. <laughs> But um, from a, from a, I love the stories like The Matrix and Gladiator. Mm -hmm. And you're creating a, a different reality and a different version of yourself. And you sort of realize, wow, it's all in my control. And it's all... Um, It's all an illusion if I let it be. And I make choices every day to change my circumstance. How am I embracing and dealing with the circumstances created? Got it. So uh, the third question is, um, what, are the, or what is the most useful, most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? Most useful most product or service. service I bought in, use, in recent memory. That would be a good question. I, I would think, you know, anything on my phone or something like that to make <laughs> life a little bit easier. But, you know, I'm on the road a lot. So anything that makes my life easier while I'm on the road in order to train. So some of the things are like a good training watch in order to mm -hmm. be able to train anywhere and not worry about distance and pace and so forth. But, yeah, it, it would be something to make my life easier on the road. Um, so whether that's an iPad or something mm. that can stay connected, things like that. But I don't, I don't have some specific one that comes to mind. I'm sorry. Got it. So uh, the first question is, what are the most important realizations, realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their yep. business, family life, relationships, time, travel. So, yeah, Chris, speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with our audience today. I would say the greatest realization or the deepest realization I've come, in, come to, and that ties into everything I talk about, is that I believe that when we're in our endurance training and we're out there running or cycling, that the ego, the small mind, closes down and is busy doing the activity of running and cycling or paying attention, hiking, right? Great philosophers used to go on long walks. And mm. when they're on, small mind gets busy with the activity of walking, but it opens our mind and our consciousness to a higher being, to the self. And um, when we're in that higher state of consciousness and that portal opens, um, we have an opportunity to listen to ourselves and listen to the nature of who we truly are without the ego being involved. And I think endurance activities opens that portal every single mm. day. We get a chance and an opportunity and practice to 
open that portal and listen to what our higher consciousness is telling us. And from that perspective, because we get more and more practice of it, we need, we recognize it talking to us even in our daily lives on direction, on purpose, on why we are doing what we're doing. And again, it allows us to be who we truly are, the true nature, the true passion, the true calling of what our life should be. And I'm not saying endurance athletics is the only way. I think meditation and other ways are uh, you can connect to that higher consciousness. But I think due to our endurance background and the evolutionary aspect of it, it allows us to let go and unwind the brain and open that portal and exhale and hear the answers to many things we already know. Um, we don't even know the questions for yet. I love this. So um, the last question for today is, Chris, uh, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? <laughs> My 20-year-old self would be very similar to what I've talked about, and that is um, know that the how and when will just happen. Accept your story. Accept the path. Don't try to control so much, mm. and it will happen the way it was meant to happen. And you will get to a place in its own way, in its own time, and you'll be happy to get there because of all the circumstances and growth and experiences you went through. And this is all part of it. I have to be my 20-year-old self in order to get to a happy 50-year-old self that I am now. And just to live it, embrace it, and have fun with it. I would probably say, if anything, back then, the intensity and the focus and the, the selfishness um, was too, had too much expression. And now, knowing that, yes, I needed that to all be part of who I am today, I would probably say, you know, uh, let go a little bit. It's going to be just fine. Mm, so, Chris. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for your vulnerability and sharing your great advice. I think this was a great episode. So Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having <laughs> me, especially. Yeah. Talk soon. All righty. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out.